Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills, the show that will never use the words Jada or Will through the duration of this podcast. Okay, maybe we'll have to say Will, but it's not in context with those people. I'm Liz Winston, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jada Moji Alboreo. See what I did there? Hello, friends. It is Halloween weekend, and this year's scariest costume is a suit, a gavel, and a flag pin. We'll bring you some scary tales about the new speaker of the fall of the House of Representatives. Plus, there ain't a horror movie you could watch this week more terrifying than this week's story of a ghoulish judge in Colorado legitimizing the ghoulish procedure known as abortion reversal. And bonus, Mochi and I have an update on the latest experiment the doctor who invented abortion reversal is working on. Look out. Boo. Scared. Boo. Have no fear. Our guests are zombie slayers extraordinaire. Remember the evil David Delayden who tried to ruin abortion providers' lives with his deceptively edited videos about fetus parts? Dr. Savita Ginde, who was one of the victims, joins us to tell the whole sordid tale. Plus, from the hilarious Phone is in the Bad podcast, we have comedian Maddie Weiner. So much show. But before we go deep, let's turn it over to Molly as she drops a steaming news dump on us. Hey, Ma. Hello there, friends. Welcome back to your steaming news dump. This one is sure to clear the room. The Georgia Supreme Court has upheld the state's six-week abortion ban, which makes it one of 21 states with total or near-total bans. But it's not over. Defenders of abortion access are going back to court arguing that this law violates the Georgia Constitution's guaranteed right to privacy. But the state is arguing back that abortion should actually be a decision between a pregnant person, their doctor, and a super pack of old white dudes who have all bailed their sons out of jail for hazing. Makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> Heading west on Interstate 10 over to Texas, unless, of course, you're taking someone to get an abortion. That's a no-no. Lubbock has become the fourth and largest county in Texas to pass an ordinance that outlaws using their roads to drive someone to get an abortion. Now, this is part of a trend making residents terrified to leave their state to get care. And it works just like their abortion ban, making vigilantes out of citizens to police and sue each other to enforce the law. Um, but a bit of good news, not every Texas city is jumping on the abortion travel bandwagon. Amarillo said, hold up, we're gonna need a minute before we deputize a pussy comatatus to interrogate women at gas stations. Where you headed? You ladies look fertile. Proof you're not pregnant? No? I'm gonna have to take you in. The accent got better in the end. <laughs> now we're gonna make a U-turn on this highway to hell, which is highly illegal. After three long chaotic weeks, we finally have a speaker of the house. I'd like you to meet anti-abortion extremist Mike Johnson, hailing from the great state of Louisiana. His interests include banning abortion and banning the rights of queer people who may want an abortion, and in his spare time, plotting a coup to overthrow the government. America, the call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> That's been your steaming news dump, aka Scream 6. Back to you. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a lot. And I'm telling you that Mike Johnson is a mess. He is the Matt Gates of Jim Jordans. <laughs> it's literally the most anti-abortion, anti-everything we hold dear to us, human. And we could dedicate a whole pod to him, but I also feel like 
I don't have a shower that's powerful enough to like get rid of that. And who has the time? Liz? <laughs> and who's got the time? But we do have to break down a little bit of who he is. And and so I wanted to play a clip of this exchange he had with friend of the pod and an OBGYN who, when abortions were still happening in Alabama, we serviced their clinic. We planted flowers there. Uh, she's part of Operation Save Abortion. Yashika Robinson, who is a national treasure, and he tries to grill her on Capitol Hill. And it is, well, listen. I understand that every pregnancy is unique and different. I also understand that patients need to have access to care, pregnant people, as the pregnancy progresses. And that may be for various reasons. Okay, let me ask you, you, let me ask you, do you support the right of a woman who is just seconds away from birthing a healthy child to have an abortion? I think that the question that you're asking asking does not realistically reflect abortion care. In that in scenario, the would you su- would you support her right to abort that child? I won't entertain theoreticals. It's not a theoretical, not ma'am. Reality. You're a medical doctor. I am a medical doctor, and that has never happened. Never in happened in your practice, care. ma'am, but it, it happens. How about if a child is halfway out of the birth canal? Is an abortion permissible then? I love that. If a baby's just hanging outside of somebody and they're smoking a cigarette on a bus stop, like, what is that guy? And that exchange went on. And I just like briefly, that is classic this dude. He is the least qualified person. That is not me. That is historian saying to serve as Speaker of the House in the last 140 years. He's never chaired a committee in the House of Representatives and now he's running it. And he's only been serving in the House since 2016, he rolled in on the Trump wave. He really actually seems like, from what everyone's saying, it's like, oh, he's a congenial, polite bigot. And I think that the politeness and the lack of uh, of actually like being known as a firebrand or being known as someone on Fox is literally what skated him in because there's a long, long history of his bigotry, easy to find. Let's just hit some of the highlights on abortion alone. Well, he has an A-plus rating from the Susan B. Anthony list, so there's that. January this year, he said, we will get the uh, number of abortions to zero in Louisiana. And this was after uh, the Dobbs decision. He also said that he blamed abortion for gun violence, saying that because we're lawless and we'll tear apart babies limb from limb, that leads to mass shootings in schools. He is definitely a Christo-fascist. Yeah, he was also an attorney for the Alliance for Defending Freedom. So he has just taken all the cases that have all the bad stuff going on. Also, I know it's not abortion, but he's a big proponent of creationism. And that's just not science. Creationism and also thinks we should be teaching it in schools. Also a big proponent of covenant marriage. And if you don't know what covenant marriage is, it means that you sign a decree that locks you into a marriage that defines the marriage roles as the man runs the household, the man gets to uh, define all the rules. And there have been many, many articles and stories written about women who have escaped covenant marriages because it basically legalizes rape within a marriage. Yeah, ladies, if he asks you to sign a decree, it's a red flag. Red flag. I did like half a Google and I was like, this sounds terrible. Why would a person sign this? And he's the person who says the quiet part out loud. He thinks that we should abolish marriage equality, thinks that we should revisit the, you know, the Obervel ruling, thinks that we should revisit uh, birth control. He thinks that, you know, the U.S. was founded under a Christian nation, so should we be? we should be ruled under a Christian nation. And is hell-bent 
on a federal abortion ban. So that's just some of the stuff that your new Speaker of the House is going to be putting forth. This is super fun. It seems really fun. So, you know, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. (laughs) Thanks, Molly, for joining us and bringing us all the joy, putting the joy in join. Now let's get to the stories that need way more attention than the media has given them. So, Liz, the FDA was created to protect Americans from charlatans and frauds, but it seems some people don't really appreciate that work. Will you tell us about a particularly troubling trend you see? I will. This trend is literally re-empowering, it seems, the frauds and the charlatans. (laughs) The conservatives are going with this weird flex emoji to strip the FDA of its powers. Uh, Many of the cases questioning the FDA's expertise are coming through the mostly conservative Fifth Circuit, treating the FDA as though they have no expertise, and setting up a long game to take away their power to regulate drugs, approve drugs, how drugs should be sort of put out into the marketplace, and handing that power possibly over to politicians or judges, which turns medications into politics. And the reason I'm talking about this story this week is You know, we've been following this Mifepristone case that we're waiting to see if the Supreme Court's going to take up, right? And that case went to the Fifth Circuit. And this week, the Fifth Circuit ruled an ivermectin case that I was like, aha, how does this tie into abortion? It really starts chipping away at the FDA's right. So what happened this week is the FDA during COVID was seeing all of these crackpots pushing ivermectin as, or as I like to call it. Horse paste killer. Hi, how are you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, I'll be here all week. Uh, They were pushing ivermectin as like a cure for COVID. And and people were like experimenting with ivermectin. And and, uh, the FDA was like, whoa, this is not proven. There is a a human version of ivermectin for the horse paste. And some people were getting sick. Yes. And so the FDA put a notice on their website that said, you know, we did not approve this for COVID. Like if it's if it's prescribed to you in a way that is unregulated and terrible, it's not helping, it's going to make you sick. Please don't use ivermectin for COVID. And then they tweeted, you're not a horse, you're not a cow. Please don't use ivermectin. Which is a hilarious tweet. Hilarious tweet. Go FDA for having some humor. But so some doctors sued saying the FDA is, is going out of their lane telling people not to use it or telling doctors not to prescribe it. And so the question before the court is, you know, can doctors sue the FDA or is the FDA immune from litigation because it's acting within its authority as people who have researched it and put it onto the market, right? Well, the three-judge panel through the Fifth Circuit, all appointed by Republican presidents, sided with those doctors this month and said the FDA was acting outside of its scope of power so they can continue to sue the FDA. I'm sorry, I just want to jump in a little bit because this is back to the like inconsistency and standing that seems to be a lot of what is running through the Fifth Circuit and conservative courts writ large. This idea that like people don't even need to show real harm to be able to bring a a case that'll like ruin it for the rest of us. That's exactly right. And my whole point of bringing up the story, and I really want to follow it to see where it goes, is that if the FDA has its expertise destroyed by courts full of ideologues, that means it will no longer be able to help folks access drugs for off-label use 
and it undermines their authority when they approve medicines like PrEP or birth control or abortion pills. And if that authority gets undermined and circumvented and handed over to politicians who don't like that you got pregnant, that you're using PrEP, that you're a sexually active person, that you're using birth control, then we don't have a medical authority that can help people do stuff. And it's just all to say that redefining expertise to devalue those who have it and then empowering those who have no expertise to trump their experience, that just makes policy that is like serving an agenda, not serving the population. And so one of the things about when I read about this case that really troubled me too is one of the arguments was like, doctors should be able to treat their patients. And I'm like, unless those patients need abortions, clearly then we don't listen to doctors. We have to listen to politicians or pro-choice doctors and dentists. Swallow up some horse paste, but uh, pills that have been effective Nah, we can't have that. For 20 plus years? Yeah. And you know, as you said at the beginning, Moji, the FDA was created because people were being harmed by unregulated food and drugs and all that shit out there. And it just scares me because this isn't just like this case in a vacuum. This case to me is indicative of ways that they want to circumvent and ban abortion without the public getting all mad at them for just saying they're doing it. And this week, we are seeing how it's playing out at this ruling in Colorado that happened. Oh my gosh. And again, yeah, it really goes back to this crackpot news. This week in Colorado, a judge decided that religion and healthcare are in fact inextricably related. And that sounds like an absurd thing to say, but just to give you a backstory, Colorado enacted a ban on advertising for abortion reversal, which is a quackpot protocol that anti-abortion activists claim can reverse an abortion after a person's taking mifepristone. Now, the science is that this is dangerous, right? But a federal judge in Colorado said, oh, this law, this ban on a dangerous procedure burdens Bella Health, that is the organization that sued, but really speaking on behalf of anti-abortion centers everywhere, burdens Bella Health's free exercise of religion. And I just want to point out that when a, when reputable researchers, when actual researchers tried to study this abortion reversal, like, hey, maybe this can help people, they had to cut the study short because it caused dangerous hemorrhaging in the study participants. Hemorrhaging, which is something that can become, that's bleeding, and that can become life-threatening really, really quickly. Yeah. And just so you know, like there is a doctor who we're actually going to be talking about a little bit later, when he pushed this idea of abortion reversal onto this community. Basically, it was like, if you've taken mifepristone, I'm going to feed you fistfuls of progesterone to stop the abortion from happening. And it's not peer-reviewed study. Every medical journal was like, um, no. And if you just don't take the second regimen of the two-part regimen of medication abortion, there's a possibility that you would not have a complete abortion And the progesterone has nothing to do with it, right? And so to force feed people uh, progesterone like veal is really fucking creepy. Also to me, even in the wording, like, okay, so the state of Colorado's interest in keeping their citizens from potentially hemorrhaging because of an unproven and, and potentially dangerous medical protocol is trumped by the right of a religious organization to basically say what they want. Yeah. They're not experts. They're not doctors. They're not. And the thing that I don't understand, it's it's claiming it's a religious right. It's a First Amendment right. And like, I don't know, 
maybe I just don't understand the First Amendment, but how is it constitutionally protected speech to promote and dispense dangerous and discredited medicine? Because I was like trying to think about, you know, the the you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. That's not protected speech. Right. But if that's the analogy we're going with, what this says is if there's a dangerous fire in a theater, you can yell, oh, don't worry, this fire's safe and it won't burn you. Right. This is the burning bush. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. And so it just it feels incredibly wrong that First Amendment protections can lead to cosplay like a doctor recommending shit that isn't real. And that isn't helpful. And right now, as we watch this FDA case we were just talking about earlier, it's like the FDA, who are the experts in abortion medication and in how ivermectin works, they're being sued because they can't give warnings about real things and that people just get to willy nilly prescribe fucking whacked out medicine or just push it. That just seems bizarre to me. It almost feels like the FDA should become a religious organization so then they can fight with our existing courts and say this is a free expression of their religion. 100% agree. <laughs> Which is so stupid. Here's here's a fun fact that also happened this week, just completely dovetailing into the wackadoodle. George Delgado, who is the doctor who invented abortion reversal. Big quotes around invented. Oh, I'm so air quoting all over the place <laughs> with my spooky hands. He's also part of the lawsuit of those quack doctors who are suing the FDA saying that Mifepristone was rushed to market and the FDA didn't do due diligence and didn't do any research, blah, blah, blah. This guy, <laughs> when he's not promoting pumping, you know, hormones into patients and suing the FDA because Mifepristone is more dangerous than Matt Gates at a fucking prom. <laughs> he's actually consulting with a biomedical organization where the person who runs the biomedical organization is also on the board of a fake clinic in Chula Vista, California. They're cooking up a breast cancer treatment that involves the skins of grapes and wait for it, mifepristone, the drug he's suing because he said it went on the market too fast. This is exactly the quackery that the FDA is supposed to protect us from. This is exactly it. This is a whole segment in and of itself, and we're going to break it down in the future. But for now, we got to move on because we got even more insanity on to our next story, which is uh, a quickie because it is just abortion orcs trying to create new ways to ban abortion by creating new language. Moji, tell us about this new thing we need to be alarmed about. <laughs> Today in con conservative politicians making things up, uh, Mississippi Senator Joey Filigane. He is opposing a birth control protection bill by saying it would allow, wait for it, morning after abortions. No, oh, morning after what? Your appointment? The morning after you made your appointment? <laughs> if you too are perplexed by that turn of phrase, it's because it's not a thing, can't be a thing. It's kind of a head scratcher. There is no morning after pregnancy. How can you have morning after abortion? That's just not how any of this works. Um... Here's the thing that is so fucking nutty, McGee, is why people get away with not knowing simple biology, and then it just turns into a train of policy, even if you wanted to say the four day after abortion, because it takes 72 hours from a fertilized egg to implant into 
the uterus, which releases the pregnancy hormones, which then the pregnancy starts. It actually takes six days at a minimum. <laughs> no, 72 hours. Six. It's six to 12. I did it. I did a Google. It's six to 12 to get the, cause it has to, sperm has to meet the egg, then it has to travel down a fallopian tube, then it has to implant into a uterus. Anyway, four days possible, but also not the morning after. Not the morning after anything, unless it's the morning after you made your appointment to have an abortion <laughs> right. or the morning after you took your abortion pill. But if you're trying to say that plan B is an abortion, it is not. Plan B is birth control. It prevents a pregnancy from happening in the first place. For the love of God, dude, this is where we're at. People making up think words. This is the dirty tricks, right? Because I did a little Googles and I was like, according to Students of For Life, the pro-life stance is that oral contraception, like the pill, IUDs, hormonal patches, plan B, any of those are abortions. Well, according to me, I should be on the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Like, what does that even mean? According to them, that is so ridiculous. The good news is most people use some form of birth control. And so they understand the quack pot line. And those people, Students for Life and, and this person from Mississippi, are not talking to actual people who are in a, in healthy sexual relationships who are not trying to get pregnant every time they have sex. So they need to get their shit together. And yes. the good news is most of Americans understand what contraception is. And I do not think they'll stand for it for one second. We have to get to our guests. We have so much show. Oh my God, so much show. So much show. But before that, we always want to tell you these stories are in our show notes and also the best and most up-to-the-minute resources on accessing abortion care and funding your care is on our website at aafront.org with our Charlie chatbot. In the bottom right corner, Charlie will walk anyone anywhere in the country through their options and resources for abortion. Yes. I'm so excited to talk to our guest because I'm sure our listeners remember if you're listening to an abortion cop podcast, you remember back in the early 2010s when those horrible doctored Planned Parenthood videos came out and this awful man named David Daleiden was going undercover, getting fake driver's licenses, filling out fake federal information and posing himself as somebody who represented a company that wanted to help use fetal tissue from abortion for medical research. And there's a lot of patients who are asking for that and you'll hear about it. And the dude went undercover, videotaped, talking to all of these different doctors, providers, people, and then doctor the videos to make it sound like they were trying to just like sell all kinds of baby parts and just make all kinds of money, which is a federal offense and could get everybody in trouble. Good news is dude was a monster, broke all kinds of laws, all kinds of federal laws, was found over and over again to be guilty of harming people and millions of dollars. He is fined. He has been appealing and appealing and appealing. And just the Supreme Court just in early October said, dude, pay up everything you did is nefarious and wrong. Fuck you. Justice for people. But we kept hearing about this story and we watched the, the hearings on TV and we kept hearing from lawyers and we kept hearing from pundits and we kept hearing from pontificators, but we didn't hear about or from 
some of the people who were victimized by David Daleiden. And today we have an incredible physician who was uh, preyed upon by David Daleiden. And she's here to tell her story about what happened to her when those tapes were released and how it destroyed her life for a very long time. So we are so excited to welcome to the show Dr. Savita Ginde and her attorney, Steve Zansberg. Hey, Savita. Hey, Steve. Hi. Hi. This interview is a long time coming. I met Savita back when I was in Boulder doing a fundraiser for your incredible clinic, the Boulder Valley Health Center, and a great independent abortion provider in Boulder, Colorado. And you and I were talking and I just love the work of the clinic and I love the holistic approach and that this is a feminist feel to the clinic. And then you just casually dropped in the conversation (laughs) that you were one of the targets of David Daleiden. And what I was so interested about is in the course of David Daleiden's reign of terror, We had so much media reporting, so much reporting on David Daleiden, on his travails, his trials, his failings, his money problems, his unscrupulous self. But there was very few people who he targeted, who we actually heard their personal stories. And I thought it was really important to bring you to the podcast to just talk about that experience and what that means for you as a human being and a provider. So having windbagged this, if if you could just set the scenario for where you were, how he targeted you, and then how that changed your life. Yeah, it's, I can tell you overall, if I've ever described that, it's, it's sort of like getting the rug pulled out from underneath you. And you're sort of like, what just happened? You know, everything really started back in 2014, um, from what I understand, Daleiden and his team infiltrated at a high level of Planned Parenthood. And at that very time, I was the chief medical officer at the local Planned Parenthood here at, in the Rocky Mountains. I had been there since I was there for 14 years. So this was towards the end. Maybe I'd been there for already 11 or 12 years. He came in at a high level and I was connected with him because we were one of the largest Planned Parenthoods. I met him briefly at a meeting in Miami. How was he presenting to you? Like, what was his grift that he got you to to engage with him? The shtick, the thing that he gave to Planned Parenthood even that pushed him through all the doors was the fact that they were going to enable us to do what a lot of our patients asked for. Patients came in, they had abortion procedures, and a lot of them wanted to do something, you know, to, to kind of pay it forward or do something else. So we would get questions pretty frequently from patients saying, can we do something with my abortion tissue? Can I donate it to science? Can can they do something with it? Um, and, you know, stem cells, which are a part of abortion tissue, can be utilized for a lot of clinical research. And he used that venue to then have conversations at a high level and then to look at large affiliates like we were at Rocky Mountain to see if we would be willing to sort of engage in that in a lawful way. Of course, he came in with a false narrative and tried to show that we were ready to break the law and all kinds of deceitful things that weren't true. But that was the conversation that he started to have. And so we really, as an organization in Denver, were really just having very initial conversations, weren't even as involved as some of the other Planned Parenthoods around the country had been with him and his group. And yet, 
even just, I had one phone call with him and one, maybe two hour meeting at um, our clinic. And that was in April of 2015. And then the videos got released at the end of July in 2015. So he he did an audio recording of you on the phone, and then he did a video recording of you in that two-hour meeting? That would be correct. And he was in the clinic. And part of it was just having this blessing from above that he was safe, that he had come through all the appropriate channels, that they were going to do something that was that our patients were asking for and could be very meaningful to those patients who are having abortion procedures. So we engaged just to see what the opportunity was. And it turned out just uh, such a mess. <laughs> So what are the ways that your life changed after these videos were released and all of the ensuing outcry? Yeah, I mean, you can start from everything from, you know, my mom calling me crying because I was on, I don't know, some, I was a Fox News, someone was doing some channel and I'm on there, something as small as that to, you know, we had to flee our home. So we let, we fled our home in August of 2015. So within like two weeks of my video coming out, because someone was caught outside of our house, taking pictures through the front door and trying to figure things out. We did not know what that meant. Um, when we had that person investigated and, you know, went through all the rigmarole, it was just, we were just kind of told to get out. So we were basically not living in my house as a new mom with twin young kids from the beginning. And I did not get, I can tell you, we didn't sell our house. We didn't get back into a stable house, back into our neighborhood until 2017. But it's funny because when you were talking about Jim Jordan, I was remembering, like, I still have a little box of like all my stuff. Like they went around my neighborhood and they flyered it. So I have all those flyers because my neighbors collected them. So I have a stack of like flyers about how terrible I am. You know, it's so maddening because I just want to go back to talking about fetal tissue research and transportation of fetal tissue research and what all that looks like. You know, part of what we do at Abortion Access Front and part of what makes us so angry are these cremation laws and these fetal burial laws, because the good that can come when people are seeking stem cell research and fetal tissue for research to have somebody like David Delighton come in and screw it all up. My sister died of ALS. You know, every time I hear of this, I, my blood boils, right? Because of this. And what I wanted to ask you is, how did he manipulate your particular video, right? What you were having a conversation with him about one thing, about exactly what you said. What did that video turn into after he doctored it? From my perspective, it came to him using those interactions and those conversations to tell the tale that he wanted to tell to his audience um, and not the true story that was actually happening. Yeah. And Steve, I'll go to you. David Delighton has lost at every turn in his lawsuits. Can you talk a little bit about, from start to finish, what kind of a criminal enterprise this is and how this doesn't affect his First Amendment rights or whatever the hell he was saying it did? Yeah, I mean, so uh, Savita, you know, neglected to mention that he he uh, is a charlatan and, and a hoaxer and he uh, portrayed himself uh, to her and others at uh, Planned Parenthood as a fetal tissue procurement operation, the Center for Medical Progress. It was a front for Operation Rescue that was involved in setting this whole thing up in order to prepare these series of gotcha videos that were released in 2015 
and that uh, falsely portrayed Planned Parenthood, not just Rocky Mountain Planned Parenthood, but many other centers as selling fetal tissue for profit, which would violate federal law. As a result of those uh, false, misleading um, videos, a whole series of them called the Human Capital Project, 13 congressional investigations were launched and uh, multiple state attorney generals, and not one of them found any wrongdoing by Planned Parenthood because, in fact, they weren't, as uh, Savita has said. They were initially exploring the possibility of beginning some relationship with what they believed was a legitimate fetal tissue procurement intermediary to facilitate medical research. And uh, Savita made clear many times in her interview that this would have to be run through PPFA legal channels and everything would have to be approved. And what they portrayed to the public is that there was ongoing sale of fetal tissue, baby parts, for profit. It resulted just a few months after the video featuring her was aired, a man entered one of the clinics under her supervision and shot and killed five people in Colorado Springs. Robert Deere. And and she, as, as you've heard, was forced to leave in the middle of the night under armed guard. With twins. Uh, and to be in hiding, even from their friends, not to be able to disclose their location for two years. Uh, not because one person was looking in the house. There were people out in front. We have in the record in our case, people with signs calling Savita a murderer. Um, so yes, Delayden and his Center for Medical Progress have lost numerous lawsuits. They they ended up suing Dr. Gindi for writing a book about her experience and speaking on TEDx and labeling what they had por- uh, promulgated fake news. And they sued for defamation. And I defended that lawsuit a couple of other attorneys, and both uh, the trial court and the court of appeals in our state held that what she said was substantially true, that they had purposefully uh, deceived the, the public into by selling this false narrative. And earlier this month, on the first day of its uh, session, the U.S. Supreme Court denied David DeLayden's request in the case out in California and rejected his claim that he's a journalist, a legitimate journalist, as opposed to a uh, avid anti-abortion activist. And I just want to add, too, that I was glued to those hearings. And for those of you who don't remember those hearings, as we sit speaking in October, it was Jim Jordan who was running those hearings, right? And so, you know, when you watch his extremist views and you watch what is happening to this Republican Party, he was leading the charge and wanted to be Speaker of the House. And just a couple of days ago, they elected a Speaker of the House who's worse than Jim Jordan. So that part feels really scary and feels really terrible. So, Savita, time has passed and you have persevered so beautifully and the work that you've done is so beautiful. I would love to hear about when you found the strength and when you found it safe to move from this place of hiding to say, you want to know what? I'm not going to let you uh, define me. I'm not going to let you take away my joy and my joy of helping others. Because I think a lot of people who have been through trauma, like you have been through, oftentimes don't hear a voice of somebody's process of how they got through it and then how they moved on to thrive. I wish you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, my first, um, first and foremost, in the top of my mind, obviously, when everything was happening, was to make sure that my kiddos, my family were safe. 
Um, and that was the most important thing. And so that's why, you know, we really fled our home. We were out in a bunch of different places and just making sure that they were still getting cared for. And my husband had already made a pact in the beginning. For all intents and purposes, we have to pretend like everything's normal for them. Um, and so creating that until we were in a little bit more of a stable place and just keep trying to think ahead as much as we could to plan for what was next for us or or for the family um, having such young kiddos and relying on a system at that point when they're so young to really make everything work. And personally, you know, it was a quick prioritization. What's the most important thing? What can I let go of? What do you leave? What do you leave behind? And where do you go from here? And then slowly, really slowly with a lot of therapy, <laughs> well, I'll leave that out, but with a lot of therapy, really putting it back together and using that process to identify where I wanted to go, what I wanted to be, how I was going to take those experiences to redefine me and make me stronger and to to help more people in the work that I do, rather than to get sidelined and fearful because of what happened, but to realize what people have the capability of doing, because you don't know how terrible people can be until they do it. And you're like, wow, really? Do you want to go there? And they did want to go there. And I think it's just, a. I mean, one of the ticklers that comes for me is we have another election coming up because all of this happened right before, you know, the last election, the, the 2016. Um, and so, you know, we have another election coming up. Everyone should be eyes wide open, look at what they're hearing. Um, but to really get back in the game, I think it's about taking that moment, however that long moment is for oneself to look inside and really say, what do I want to do? How do I get beyond this? What kind of support do I need? How do I get that support? And then putting it all together and knowing that some downtime, which I did take some downtime, I was probably out of the field for about five years. I needed that breath and it's okay. It seems that right now, and maybe it's somewhat related to the upcoming elections and maybe it's just in the zeitgeist and maybe it's because of the Dobbs decision, but the escalation of anti-abortion rhetoric is pretty extreme. It's louder and almost has as much fire as it did around 2015, 2016. How are you dealing with this? Does it feel like a repeat, like history is repeating itself? Just how are you dealing? I am eyes wide open. You know, if something happens and and people want to be like, oh, it's okay, whether it's the mail, whether we get phone calls, whatever it is, it's really easy to blow it off. And of course, my threshold for... Um, just being proactive and making sure that we have a safety plan, that we know what to do in any situation that might arise is pretty high. And people just know that I will, I don't take anything for granted. And I think that's super important. We saw what all, how all of this unfolded. And as Steve mentioned, we saw what Robert Deere did in the Colorado Springs clinic. And we know that those kinds of things create lasting scars in people's lives and other things to overcome that I don't think is worth taking anything for granted. And Steve, what advice would you give as we're in this new landscape now, where, as Moji said, there's escalated violence, there's people who we have seen just, you know, anti-abortion extremist feeling much more emboldened outside of clinics, you know, with face violations. You know, what advice would you give to those who are um, advocating for abortion care or providing abortion care in this new landscape when they are targeted? Well, I, I just echo what Savita said. I mean, have eyes wide open and, and be aware and be concerned that, yes, the, these threats are escalating, perhaps in a way that they are, are worse. Uh, I wouldn't even suggest it's history repeating itself. Unfortunately, our country has become more and more polarized, and the extreme right is uh, very emboldened by the prior presidential 
administration. And uh, I would say be on the lookout. Don't take any threat lightly uh, or, you know, write it off and and reach out to for those who are seeking uh, abortion services, reach out to the organizations that help support uh, access and and find your way to states like Colorado. Thankfully, we are one of them that still uh, provide such services. Yeah, it's so crucial. Um, before we go, I just want to talk about the wonderful work you're doing now because your clinic is gorgeous. I loved meeting your staff and I love the work you're doing. Talk about what it means to be working at a small independent clinic, a community clinic in a great community. It feels like a really great way to reintroduce yourself back into abortion care. Yeah. I mean, you know, I still sit in disbelief so often to be like, really, Rose gone, and this is the world we're living in, where we're getting patients from down the street and then from across the country, and just trying to put it all together to to make sure everyone's needs are getting met. You know, I'm amazed at how many people are able to get to us, our little small clinic. I think we're an adorable little shabby chic place is what I call us. And we provide great care. And so it's it's great that people can find us, that we're able to support people not only with their procedures themselves, but also with all those logistics that now befall people to come to us from, again, whether it's down the road or across the country, everything's so expensive. People need support to get there. And so, you know, I, I'm so proud of at Boulder Valley, you know, we just celebrated our 50th. We came into existence on the heels of Roe. And so I'm so amazed that today, you know, Roe's not here, but we still are. Yes. Um, and we provide great care. Yeah. So, so it's awesome and amazing. And we get such heartfelt commentary from our patients who leave us little notes in a journal that we have about how wonderful their experience was with us. And as you mentioned, Liz, you know, we have a great team and they're all there to take care of every patient. Um, we provide some really personalized care and, and make sure that everybody gets exactly what they need when they come to see us at Boulder. It's been incredible talking to you and hearing about this harrowing experience you had and sharing it with us. And we have to wrap. But before we do, can you just lead us out talking about ways that people can support independent clinics like Boulder Valley Health Center? Absolutely. You know, we're one of um, many independent clinics across the country. Most importantly, I'll say, please don't be afraid of us. We provide really great care, even though we might not be a Planned Parenthood or someone that's big. You can check us out at bouldervalleyhealth.org. We have a brand new website that we launched with our 50th. Um, you can find information on there about our services. We even have scheduling availability right there. And then most importantly, we got a chat bot. It answers all your questions about abortion or sexual or reproductive health. So ask away, get connected to us. And of course, we can use all the support. So any donations, large or small, every little bit counts. And it really helps towards getting patients the care they need. Dr. Savita Gindi, thank you so much for sharing your story. The personal is sometimes what people really need to hear. And Steve, thank you so much for just defending and being righteous and standing on the side of angels and the side of good. You both have been really great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Find all of Dr. Savita Gende's info and socials in the show notes and keep supporting independent clinics such as Boulder Valley Health Center through donations. And now the party game that's faster than Monopoly and more fun than taboo, Six Degrees of Abortion. This is where Moji takes a story from the news, and I have six chances to see if I can link it to abortion. Moji, stump away. So this week, a trailer was released. A what? A trailer for a movie that's going to be on uh, the, I think, the Disney Plus called Dashing Through the Snow. 
um, and it stars Chris Ludacris Bridges and um, Lil Ray Howery, two comedians who are very funny. And I love a new Christmas movie with comedians. Uh, hopefully it'll be as good as Elf, which is my favorite. And I would like maybe for you to, in six choice chances or less, link Chris Ludacris Bridges to abortion. I don't think I can link Ludacris to anything. So, <laughs> okay. okay. Sorry. I don't know who that, I don't know who that is. You don't know who Ludacris is? I mean, I know who he is, but I don't know what the first he thing about. He was in about. the Fast and the Furious movies. There's like a billion people in that. I've never seen those movies. Yeah, but The Rock is I've in I've never them. seen them, so I don't know who's in them. So I can't <laughs> tie it to something I've never seen or paid attention to or given a fuck about. He was in Songs with Usher. I'm giving you, I'm giving you hints here. He did Songs with Usher. You, you just started with an Usher joke just earlier today. Come on, come on, you got this. I didn't start with an Usher joke. I did an Alec, Edgar Allan Poe joke, friend. I don't know what you're saying. Okay. Um, I don't know. I'm not even going to try. Oh. Fail. Oh, my God. Fail wow. of the House of Usher. That is me. That's hilarious. Okay. Well, seems like I know what we'll be watching this Christmas season. I'm not going to watch Fast and Furious. I'll no. watch the ludicrous holiday movie because I like a holiday movie. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. We're going to watch. What's it called? Jingle you... all the way to me losing. <laughs> through the snow. <laughs> oh my God. Ludicrous plays Santa and I think Lil Ray plays Grinch. So. Oh, don't tell <laughs> Megan Kelly. Ludicrous is playing Santa. You no, know, Megan Kelly's not ready for that. <laughs> Remember when she had a, she went wild on Here, Fox News about Black Santa. That. She looked directly to the camera and she said, kids, Santa is white. <laughs> and to which I looked back at my television and said, Santa is fake, Megan. Oh my God. Well, congratulations, Moji. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very proud of myself. I'm very proud of myself. I feel really like, don't know. You feel don't stumped? Have a clue. Do you feel stumped? <laughs> I'm fine. It's all great. Yeah, it's all great. Well, as always, we've got to keep the lights on and we can't do it without the ongoing support of our fake sponsors, Liz. That's right. And this one is not only just a sponsorship, also a PSA. Did you know that thanks to abortion pills, women across the country are flushing little Einsteins and little Tom Brady's down the toilet every day? Oh, I did know that. And worse... Every brilliant toilet baby ends up in your local water supply. It's true. Our drains are practically clogged with the prodigies of tomorrow. We should be asking ourselves, is the glass half empty or half full of untapped potential? It's heartbreaking knowing we're all drinking America's future. And that's why we drink pro-life water, the only bottled water labeled 100% fetus-free. Moji? Tell them how it works. Their seven-step enhanced filtration process ensures you won't be swallowing any miniature Mozarts, tiny Teslas, or fluoride. Plus, the taste is refreshing and pure. Pro-Life Water gives you the peace of mind that you can quench your thirst, knowing you aren't ingesting the next generation of geniuses. Order your first case of Pro-Life Water today and get your second case for free using the discount code H2NO. Pro-life water, fetus-free, fluoride-free, always vegan. I love that pro-life water doesn't stop us from, you know, just filters it out. No, I also like that it's labeled. Yeah, yeah, it's labeled fetus-free too, because yeah. the labeling is what matters always. Yeah. 
Also, just really reminding people that every abortion is ruining the state of the arts and the climate and every genius. <laughs> and the scientists. And the scientists. <laughs> you know, I used to laugh about it when they were always like saying that because that's like a big trope for the anti-abortion movement. Like, oh, yeah, you could be aborting a person that is going to be your cancer. Right. But I always feel like I look who's walking the earth right now, running our <laughs> government and stuff. And I'm like. They might be right. We might have aborted all of the geniuses. And now we're just stuck. all we're left with are the Mike Johnsons. Yes. <laughs> and the Lindsey Graham. So I'm reevaluating my whole take. Uh, no, that's fair. Yeah, this is a good one. Our next guest is a hilarious comedian, podcast host, and North Carolina transplant. Please welcome Maddie Weiner. Hey, Maddie. Hey, how's it going? Well, you know, it's going. I mean, like, is it good? You know, we're alive today. Yeah. The world is a perpetual dumpster fire. So like, who knows? So I have to tell you, I was watching your podcast and I was like, I think it's really funny because you remind me of me and your podcast host so reminds me of a dude who I was like one of my best friends who never moved out of my house for like a really long time. <laughs> and I was like, I love you. You're great. But like your dynamic is a sitcom. Me and Kenyon? You yes. and Kenyon's dynamic is its own situation. Because it feels like y'all riff like off this podcast, you are just those people. And then the podcast happens to be an afterthought. And it's so funny. Is it just a continuation of your relationship? No, a thousand percent. It really is like we we did a road gig the other day and drove for seven hours straight. And I was like, it literally was just the podcast. I was like, it's not there's not really a switch that's happened because I've known Kenyon for the whole time I've done comedy. We met at he started maybe three months before me in North Carolina. And we met at like the first open mic I ever did. And he kind of like showed me the ropes of the scene and stuff. And like, he's truly my best friend in the whole world. We're like brain melded. I'm like, he's like my brother. And we actually, it's funny that you say that because we do actually live together. He just moved to New York and we're also what? roommates. Yeah, so <laughs> I literally just text him and I'm like, hey, do you want to like walk down the hallway and do the podcast? Like, and it's he's 10 feet away, which so far, you know, we're not driving each other crazy because we're doing stand up together and living together and doing the podcast together. But I'm also like, we've been an old married couple, our whole friendship. So like, it's perfect. It makes the most sense in the world. We're like an 85 year old married couple. Yeah. So how did you get the name of your podcast? Phone is in my bag. Like, what does that mean? Or what inside joke does that refer to? Yeah, phone is in the bag is Kenya and I moved to Chicago with some friends and did stand up there for a while. And uh, we <laughs> we uh, had this like just some open mic that was awful. And Kenyon had a bad set and was really like he was in a place where it, he was like, we were so like young and serious about comedy that he freaked out and threw his phone across the room. And he was like, I bombed and it bounced off a wall. And then we were like, when we all calmed down, we were like, okay, we got to find your phone. We got to get out of here. We searched for like maybe 40 minutes. And then at some point we realized the phone had bounced off the wall into his backpack. And we were like, phone's been in the bag this whole time, dude. And now whenever one of us is freaking out and we're like, it's within you. We're like, the phone is in the back. <laughs> like, everything's <laughs> fine. You can freak out and have a meltdown and everything will end up exactly where it needs to be. So that's kind of become like our friendship mantra. It was our friendship mantra for like years. And then we were like, 
That's exactly what the podcast should be. It's really the vibe of the podcast. <laughs> it has both of us going, stop freaking out. It's fine. <laughs> Maddie, it's so hilarious because like we are, you know, dick deep in doing abortion activism. We're not doing this podcast and doing comedy and doing a whole bunch of other shit. And in watching your act, I have to tell you, so this joke that you had was so hilarious. Like, I'm going to be the first pro-life progressive. Oh, the first person who's non-binary and pro-life. Yeah, it's the first person who's non-binary and pro-life. And I have to tell you, there is this creepy organization called Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. Yeah. How is how they pronounce it. And their leader is an anti-abortion, non-binary asshole. (laughs) Oh my gosh. There is something funny about being like, like if you're non-binary being like, I feel part male and the part of me that's male thinks that women shouldn't have abortions. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, that is weirdly gender affirming. You are acting, that's very male. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it tracks. Also, they're like, we're progressive. And then they'll do a press conference with Ted Cruz. And I'm like, no, you know, not, not that progressive. Like actually the worst. Also, they stole Weird. 115 fetuses from- um, medical, like it picked, they picked Excuse medical waste me? place. Oh, it's exactly what, yeah, you heard that correctly. It gets better. And then put them in a cooler in their apartment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then handed, passed them out to other anti-abortion friends and did unboxing videos Yeah, on <gasps> Facebook. Yeah. And Catholic religious services for yeah, careful what you wish for. Yeah. They gave them all <laughs> names, baptized them. Oh, they're messy. Oh my God. Well, I'll tell you, no, they're not progressive because that was not very vegan of them. No, no, no. And I do believe one of them is vegan. (laughs) It's a mess. Yes. That's insane. So here's what I love. I love how feminism has just like put in their place in a way that's like, you've kind of outlived this mindset of like second wave white lady feminism. And then this really open, feminism has taken place you know where it's just like way more inclusive and everything what does your feminism look like if you were to describe your feminism what would you say it is Ooh, i would say i'm aspiring to intersectional feminism that like you said isn't just like white cis woman centric but also has like a class dimension to it and you know what i mean but it's like um I wouldn't sit here and be like, and that's what I do. And I've implemented it perfectly. But like, that's what I like (laughs) admire in other people. And that's what I would like to uh, shoot for is like a feminism that is only successful with like any other movement pushing for liberation. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, uh, the people I follow and admire. Rain Fisher Kwan is a writer who's, I think she's Gen Z. I think we're around the same age who I found on TikTok, who is like a really great feminist thinker um, and like social critic. She's someone I've been following uh, really closely. I really like her work. It's really nice to also, like with TikTok, when people really condense who they are and what they believe in in ways that cuts out all the fat, I think that's really awesome because they just get to sort of the core of it in a way that's really admirable. And what I like about Rain's work too is she... Like, like I, I found her on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok anymore because it was melting my brain. It was like a starting point to then go follow. Like she is a Substack, and she writes like really uh, great, like long form essays. And it she was one of the only 
people on there who I was like, oh, you don't just stay in this soundbite world. You're actually using it to funnel people to much like deeper, meaningful, thoughtful work, which I think also, especially for my generation is like our biggest challenge is like, you can't have conversations on these platforms. Like you can't have conversations in 30 seconds. Like they're ads. They're like ads for bigger ideas. And she, I think really successfully has like gotten people our age to like engage with bigger ideas. So yeah, if I if I had to point to someone who I'm like, what my feminism looks like, I really follow Rain, Rain Fisher Kwan. I think she's amazing. I mean, and it's hard, you know, I don't mean to sound like, you know, old lady, whatever, but like, you know, you're 25 and the world is ahead of you. What does that, what does that look like for you? You know, like I'm, I'm always curious about like, where do you grab your hope? Like, where do you feel like, mm. okay, here's where my power lies. Here's where I can, I can really see the future and me being in it. it for me, like stand up is the way that I like can chart the next like decades of my life because it's the thing that I actually have like goals set forward in. And it's something too, where I'm like, I know what I want to be doing in my thirties and my forties and my fifties. And I don't know if I want to have kids and I don't know if I'll get married. I don't know like a lot of other things, but I guess like work is kind of the one thing where I'm like, oh, I can see the kind of like arc of my life charted on this thing. And I hope a lot of other things fit in along the way, but like that feels very, um, in my control and also like is the thing that ties me to like the most important community in my life. Like, I don't know if y'all feel the same way, but it's like the stand up community is like where pretty much all of my friends are. And it's like, you're at a diner till 2 AM. It's like, okay, this is a little cheesy, but it is the place that you kind of get the community that like very individualized atomized capitalism kind of like robs you from. I'm like, Oh, this is like a collaborative communal daily place that I get to see people and so like that brings me comfort that like whatever else is happening, I'm like, I know I kind of have like a home and a family here. And I think if uh, a lot of comics heard me say that, they'd be like, <laughs> rip my head off because it's so cheesy. But I, th- but I think it's true. I don't think they would. I feel like that when you have your community, when you have your people, like they recognize that they're your people. Do y'all feel like that? Like stand up, like the comedy is like, I'm not a comedian. I'm just funny. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if it was still like around the world if like if that was something that uh that was like because for me I'm like oh I feel like that is like my core community I feel like I have several core communities um and I feel like there is a core comedy community there's a core activism community and then the subset in abortion so I think that I get my needs met from different communities mm. and also you might find as you get older like yeah that broadens right but we're much older than you. So we've had like, I think it maybe when I was 25, it may have felt like I had one community. And now similarly, I just feel like I also have many branches of community um, Mm. and some of them overlap and intersect and some of them have nothing to do with each other and all of them feed me. Yep. We got to wrap it up, Maddie. This was so much fun to yak with you. Before we go, tell folks what you want them to know about where you are and who you are and what you are doing. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm on Instagram at Maddie T. Wiener, which is where I post all of my show dates. The link tree in my bio there has my tour dates, a mailing list people can sign up for if you want to see me on tour doing stand-up. And my podcast, Phone is in the Bag with Kenyon Adam Chick, comes out every week. And uh, it's a fun little comedy hang. It certainly is. Maddie, it was so great to meet you. Hopefully we'll see you in person soon. Yeah, same to y'all. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Thanks for stopping by. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Maddie Wiener is hilarious and reminds me of me when I was 25. Check her out. She's awesome. Moji, that's our show.
Thanks again to Dr. Savita Gende and Steve Zansberg. Please support all her work at Boulder Valley Health Center. Thanks so much for listening. Like, subscribe, and show us some love with a five-star rating. And stay connected on social media at Abortion Front. Let's make a difference and have some fun doing it. Let's do that. Also, here's something fun. Oh, I love fun. I know. We have partnered with this really dope textile company in LA called Works in Progress LA. And they have designed this incredible art piece that is multicolored uterus. There's three different colors. They're very cool. They're very cool. And they look super cool on your wall or like on a tablescape. They're really modern and amazing. And proceeds from buying this cool thing will go to AAF. And if you order between now and December 16th, you can get it for a holiday gift. The address to get it is in the show notes. It is so cool. Please, please, please go because these partnerships are so awesome. And it's really great to support a company who is using like organic dyes and cares about the environment and that the fact that they care about reproductive rights and want to help support that too. It's a double good thing. So that is awesome. And after you bought your rug, maybe you're looking for some abortion activism. Don't forget, we've got a five-part activist training series called Operation Save Abortion at operationsaveabortion.com. And part of that, I just want to remind you, is the incredible Dr. Yashika Robinson, who was challenged by dopey Mike Johnson, is part of that incredible training program. So you just go to operationsaveabortion.com. And you can get local national actions and educational opportunities. And one of the things that are at operationsabortion.com is an incredible activist calendar where you can click on it and you can find amazing events that are happening. And one of the featured events coming up on the activist calendar, Wednesday, November 15th, 7 p.m. If you're in New York, Brooklyn Forge is hosting Give Thanks for Abortion Funds event in Brooklyn. There's going to be music, drinks, community, and a raffle. The event will support the New York Abortion Access Fund and BK Forge. The link is in the activist count. Next week's guests include one of the foremost authorities on U.S. abortion policy and author of two New York Times bestsellers, All the Single Ladies and Good and Mad, Rebecca Traster joins us. And hilarious comedian and writer for Cards Against Humanity, Yoonji Kim, brings the funny. Yes. Now join our Patreon. You'll support great content, get cool FBK merch and experiences. Plus all pledges support this pod and all of our activism and abortion front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. FBK is edited by Remy DeTournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Finally, we leave you with the Bishop of Christ the Good Shepherd Church. This Nostradamus shows us his whole ass with his prediction for the future of the church. So if this human comes and one day he says, I want to marry a dog, United Nations says there is a law that protects your rights. You can marry a dog. And when, when they introduce this law and force the churches to marry same sex, then there is a law that protects those people and force the church to marry them. And if you don't, the church will be closed, fined, and you'll be persecuted and prosecuted and thrown in prison. Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, 
Like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.